Welcome back to New Narratives, Justice for George Floyd. I'm your host, Sienna iwasaki Milpower. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the content creator intern at Asian American Organizing Project, also known as AAOP, a youth-focused, youth-led, Asian American nonpartisan nonprofit based in the Twin Cities. In April of 2021, the eyes of the world were on Minneapolis as the trial of Derek Chauvin unfolded. Ultimately, Derek Chauvin was found guilty for his brutal murder of George Floyd. His conviction was a small but meaningful step in the fight for police accountability. But even as something that could be called progress was happening in Minneapolis, we were reminded how far we are from true justice by events just a dozen miles away in Brooklyn Center. On April 11, 2021, 20-year-old Dante Wright was driving with his girlfriend when his car was pulled over by police, allegedly for expired registration or an air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror. In the ensuing encounter, Dante Wright became frazzled and tried to step back into his car. Officer Kim Potter threatened to tase him, but instead she pulled her gun and shot him, killing him. In an instant, Kim Potter stole Dante Wright's life, took away his young son's opportunity to grow up with his father, and robbed Dante Wright of all the possibilities of his future. Brooklyn Center erupted into protests, which the Brooklyn Center Police Department met with what many saw as unreasonable force, escalating the unrest. As Minnesota responded in horror to yet another police murder of a Black community member, there was also admiration for the spontaneous yet swift Brooklyn Center community-organized response to Dante Wright's murder, both in the form of protests and mutual aid. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with three educators for Brooklyn Center Community Schools who were part of those mutual aid efforts. I asked them about the response to Dante Wright's murder from their school youth community, how Brooklyn Center managed such an impressive mutual aid initiative, and what the path forward looks like for their community. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, and as we dive into the conversation, I'd love to start if everyone would just go around and introduce themselves. I can start. Um, my name is Nan Nguyen and I use she, hers, and I'm currently a social studies teacher at Brooklyn Center Community Schools. I am Jackie Hayden. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am the college career coordinator for Brooklyn Center High School. And my name is Longkey Vang. I use he, him pronouns, and I am the community school site coordinator for Brooklyn Center Middle and High School. Thank you again all so much for being here. I want to start by asking each of you if you remember when you heard the news about Dante Wright's murder this spring and what your immediate reaction was to that news. I remember like a sense of shock and numbness i think um so i oversee our summer programs here at the school and the same week after dante wright was murdered um we were gonna launch our registration for summer program so i actually went into the weekend with huge optimism and um, really excited about everything that was going to happen and then uh, sunday night rolled around and everything just flipped mm -hmm. and changed and I remember getting on the phone at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night with my supervisor saying, yeah, we need a pivot. And like everything we were hoping to do, like we just cannot do anymore. For me, I remember I heard the news actually. So on social media, I follow a couple alumni students and 
they were posting um, live feeds of the gathering that happened after the murder. And I think at that point, Dante's body was was removed from the area. But for a while, from my understanding, um, the body remained um, on the sidewalk from if I'm if I'm remembering this correctly. And a lot of students were either at the live ceremony that was happening of people gathering and protesting or they were just reposting it. And at the moment when I heard of it, I didn't know who the person was. And so I remember feeling this like a deep feeling of panic, not sure if it's one of, you know, one of our students that we know and love. And so, I, you know, just earlier that week, I had a conversation with a black student who was saying that their speedometer on their car was broken. And so I was just at that point trying to figure out as quickly as possible who it was. And I remember going to my husband and who's really politically involved being like, can you look on Twitter? Can you help me figure this out? And then we were able to figure out it was Dante. For me, I heard about the news um, that Sunday night. I just came home and uh, there I also follow um, a lot of folks who were very politically involved on Instagram and just kind of saw the news right away. But at that time, it was still a developing story. Um, So I think for me, I was trying to follow and trying to find as many sources as possible. Um, And it was also at at the same time waiting for um, kind of the school district to see if there's any information um, on the murder uh, coming from the school district as well. Um, So throughout that time, I think that night, I was thinking a lot about in in terms of classroom context. And I have a lot of students who live near protest scenes. So students were also messaging and were talking about things that were happening around their neighborhood. And I was just kind of there to be able to support them through messages and things like that. But I, I just remember feeling kind of hopeless because the trial, the Darren Chauvin trial was coming the following week. And then uh, the murder of Dante Wright was happening right before that. And there, in our social studies classroom, there's already been a lot of talk and discussion about the trial. Um, so I think it was a feeling of overwhelmingness and also um, really unsure of what to do next. Thank you all so much for, for sharing that. I feel like you've already started to address this a little bit in your previous answers, but I wonder if you could elaborate more on the responses that you heard and felt in the Brooklyn Center community, uh, particularly from your students and the youth that you work with. I teach, I taught sixth grade at the time, and um, we were kind of delving into the experience of Black communities in Minnesota. So we spent some time kind of talking about the inequities that the Black community is facing in Minnesota. And the initial responses, I think, for younger students was just kind of telling you what was happening around their neighborhood. For example, we got messages where students were like, someone's been maced right outside of my window, or I heard gunshots, or I heard noises and things like that um, right outside where my apartment complex are. So the initial responses for younger students, um, for sixth graders that I work with and seventh graders that I've worked with and know, um, was more of just telling and really 
describing what they were seeing and hearing. And what I could do for them was just to really listen and um, to talk about how they feel at that time when they hear those things. Usually when we're in person, I do help students process in like a pretty informal setting. You know, they come into the college and career center, we talk about things, but because we weren't meeting anymore, I don't feel like I really got to hear the students' initial reactions, more so afterwards once they came and protested and became involved and volunteered, where I, I was able to really process with them. But initially I felt like the response from the school, at least I felt was that everyone just do what you can to support the community. And at that time for me, it was helping with um, the food drive and the essential need drive that we were doing. I wanna definitely dive into sort of what you brought up, Jackie, about the mutual aid efforts. But I think maybe it would be helpful to listeners before we talk about that to sort of set the stage. So could you share a little bit about what happened in the aftermath of Dante Wright's murder and, and what the situation was like on the ground in Brooklyn Center that maybe necessitated those mutual aid efforts? I think people were livid. People were livid that another Black young man was unnecessarily shot and killed. So people were gathering, they were protesting. It was happening outside of um, the police station and the way that the police responded with gassing the protesters, I think it just escalated the situation where the, the week following the murder of Dante Wright was just really intense, right? And you think about if, if you're familiar with Brooklyn Center and the surrounding areas, like right outside of the police department are apartment complexes, many of them. And the protests are happening right there. And so when the police are throwing the gas bombs into the air, it's actually going into those apartment buildings. And so it was a really intense week of extreme protests and standoff between the protesters and police that just, it felt like it was continuing to escalate. I think what I can add, and Jackie did a perfect kind of like a background of what happened um, following Dante Wright's murder. And I think I'm gonna focus on kind of the impact of the events on the community specifically, because a lot of, I, I think situating where Brooklyn Center School is, is right in the middle of the police center. The police center is just right down the street and across from the police center and right by the school are a bunch of apartment complexes that students um, in Brooklyn Center live in. And so a lot of students and their families were affected in that they cannot access, you know, the Walmart or the stores around Brooklyn Center. And we don't really have that many in general, which led to kind of really the need to coordinate a community-led mutual aid efforts. So piggybacking off of this idea of those mutual aid efforts. I live in Southwest Minneapolis. And so I feel like I was watching all of this play out from afar, but even from outside of Brooklyn Center, I was really struck by, as you noted on the speed and the efficiency of those mutual aid efforts. And so I wonder if you could talk about what those efforts looked like, what needs they were trying to meet and, and what it was like trying to get that done in this moment of crisis for your community. I think in the previous question, Nan said it best, like we had to, 
you know, like this was just something that there was no option. Um, I remember coming into the building on Monday morning and uh, having the administrators and other people from the district being like, yeah, like we need to open the blue barn, which is our rec building. Uh, we need to set up tables and we just need to put an ask out and see what happens because, you know, Brooklyn Center is already an inaccessible food desert to the community. And with places like Cup Foods and Walmart closed, and then the next day, the Dollar Tree uh, being closed as well, too, um, there was going to be an immediate need for things. And it really was like a, to an extent, a small grassroots effort of like people putting out on social media and putting out different avenues of facebook groups or just like word of mouth through friends and making phone calls and just making sure that we could get the basic needs that families and members in the community would need that that immediately at the beginning and then it really kind of was just kind of playing it by ear at least from my point of view um you know just like kind of playing it by ear making sure that uh, whatever we got we could give out to the community and if we needed more like we would put out the ask knowing that uh, the community could and would turn out for us as well, too. Yeah, I think it really, our mutual aid efforts really showcases the power of social media. You know, for me, I was able to organize a lot of money coming in for donations because I just put it out there and I was like, hey, I'm going to be doing a supply run later today. This is going directly to my school. If you're willing to contribute, Venmo me. And that quickly spread by a couple of organizers and just friends and family members and it kept spreading and it went viral essentially so there was so much aid coming in that I was just doing supply run after supply run after supply run just trying to get resources into the community and what was crazy is you know even though there's so much coming in it was also going out just as quickly as word was spreading that this resource was available in Brooklyn Center you know there wasn't uh, a lot of the local public transportation was closed down and so people were carpooling to come to the blue barn to get access to just essential items milk and eggs and bread and diapers were a huge one and I feel like it evolved like at first it was like we didn't really know we were trying to organize it (laughs) and we didn't really realize the volume of the need that we would have and then towards the end of it it was such a well-oiled machine and Lanky you were witness to most of that because you were working the door um, I would come in with donations being like, whoa, this has changed in the past couple hours. <laughs> yeah, we literally went from like, I remember starting at like 10 o'clock Monday morning and we had like a couple of tables like laid out. And then like by four o'clock that night, like all the walls on the blue barn had like stuff on them. Yeah, that was awesome. I think like looking at the question of like what logistical challenges you need to work out. I think there was like some, you know, when you're when you're giving aid to a community that's in need right who who is the judge who gets to decide how Mm. much aid is too much Uh right if a family Mm. is really in need and you're asking like how many diapers do you need so i feel like that created a little bit of tension is because you know we're not a nonprofit; we're a school (laughs) and our school does give out resources but not in the capacity that we were giving out that week and so I think there was some tension of like, well, these people are taking too much. Well, they probably need it. We're not going to turn away a family in need. Well, but there's also other people that need it. So there are some of those logistics that people were trying to work through and have that dialogue in such a fast paced environment. Uh, But I feel like overall, our school really responded well. 
all three of you are, are involved in Brooklyn Center Community Schools, all three of you work with, with youth regularly. Do you think that that impacted the way that you and your colleagues approach this type of community crisis? Or like, how does your role as an educator play into your potential role in, in a moment like this? Lonky and I often joke about, uh, or we were joking at the time, you could tell who had nonprofit experience <laughs> by how they responded to the chaos uh -huh. of, of organizing, right? Um, and I think there's some people who are just more willing to um, trust fall blindly and be like, let me be of service wherever I may be. And there's some people maybe specifically who's attracted to education that like structure. They like to know what's happening. They have their lessons plan planned out for the entire year. And so when something like this happens, maybe they're not the ones who can respond in a way that's uh, as helpful on the front lines, right? And so it kind of, you, you just kind of figured out what was needed in the moment. You know, I think of a clear example of like, you know, we were able to do like basic aid, uh, basic needs for families. And then I remember someone being like, oh, a student mentioned that they would love earplugs because they live near the protest. It's like earplugs. Oh my gosh. Like, why didn't you even think of that? And then it's like, Hey, let's get some earplugs. Let's get some cleaning supplies. So families can feel a little bit more safe or a little more insulated. And so I think the ability to be flexible and to adapt as quickly and as best as we can is critical and is key. And it's something that like, I feel like we don't think about oftentimes, but like it's something that is needed to an extent as well too. There was a, a tension in in kind of like when do I show up and how do I show up? And I, for me, I this these community responses. I was there on Monday and it kind of seeing it progress and a lot more teachers start to come out. Kind of like in them um, once things start rolling and and there's a system in place. But I think one of the big questions as I was grappling with my team other teachers is like how do we address this within our classroom too and one of the things that eventually that we did was the drive continues and the aid continues into the week where students came back to school and there were actually a lot of students who were organizing and were helping out at the community-led aid effort too and I thought it was like a perfect example of how students can really just dive right into and contribute right into their, their community. We are a community school. And I think it was that moment where I realized that like, this is how a community school look like and should be like in terms of like being able to provide and, and respond to the community that they're serving um, when that community is in need. So I think like really having that flexibility of bringing young people into this work too is not just adult-led but also young people can contribute can lead and can you know like long key story like telling them what what the community actually need because these students are are living like in Brooklyn Center so I thought <clears throat> that really changed the way that I look at how the community school is structured and um, reflecting on how that can impact you know if future events and how we respond to other future community needs. These organizing efforts were 
it feels like very spontaneous and in response to the super pretty specific situation, pretty specific issue within your community. Have you seen any sort of continuation of that type of organization or maybe after effects of this huge mobilization during that particular week? You know, I will say one of the things to, to preface, you know, one of the things I remember individuals when they were first pulling up and dropping off supplies those first few days was people telling me like, oh, like we are thankful or, or we want to be able to help as much as we can. And unfortunately, we're just like in a routine of like, oh, like a, a tragic event occurs. And then like, this is how we respond. And it, and it like really sh- struck me of like, oh, like for the past year, like this has been our thing now. Like, and, and, and not that it's necessarily bad but it is bad right that like our gut reaction is like like this is how we respond to tragedies and something like when a a tragic event in the community occurs and obviously we want to be able to support and help our community but like we've just gotten to this routine of like something bad is going to happen something bad is going to happen and i think like uh, you know like on coming out of the end of the community uh mutual aid distribution of like now we've been able to build relationships with not just community members, but community organizations and really working in a collaborative effort to support our young people here in Brooklyn Center, but also um, the wider community as well, too. I think like there's, for me at least, you know, there is optimism that like, oh, we truly, you know, geographically, Brooklyn Center Middle High School is like a hub, like you work really centralized to various things, but like we can truly be more than just like a building in the community as well, too, that like we again we're not a nonprofit, and this isn't necessarily like what we do but like when asked to respond or when asked to be partners in these kind of efforts um or initiatives like we can respond and we are able to do stuff like that part of me wonders too now that we have the experience of doing it once could we do it more routinely throughout this the year and just tell families when you know when we're doing it i think you know, at first it seemed like a lot of the people that were coming through and getting basic supplies were the ones immediately affected by um, what was happening in the community. But towards the end of it, I think people were coming through that just like uh, a week's worth of healthy food and groceries is what they needed to be at, to sleep at peace that night, right? And so if we think about it through that context and that lens of how much did this give to our community in general even if maybe they weren't affected by a lot of the store closures and they didn't necessarily need it to have for a meal that night, maybe it helped them a little bit later on. No, Brooklyn Center isn't a high income area. Like a lot of the families are working families and they, every little bit helps. And so part of me thought like, what if we did this for Thanksgiving and maybe for different holidays throughout the year? And it just struck me so much how people were so willing to give. Cars would pull up with just, hundreds of dollars worth of items that I think that if we continue to do it, people would show their generosity even more. After experiencing all of this, what are your hopes for your Brooklyn Center community, particularly, you know, with the fact in mind that Kim Potter's trial will be in the future and, you know, the impacts of of what's happened are, are certainly not going to go away probably ever. So I'm just curious, you know, what what are you hopeful for? Maybe what are you concerned about? What does the future look like from, from your perspective in your communities? 
I just hope that this event isn't just another sad moment where a black man is killed, but it's the, the moment in Brooklyn Center where we attract teachers that want to come to teach at Brooklyn Center because of how we responded to Dante Wright's murder. You know, the students that felt that raw anger to come together and help, you know, build more movement for different causes within our community. And so I hope that this is just the start of more change brought on so that our students and our staff and everyone can just really feel feel heard. And so I'm an optimist. I like to paint everything in the positive. <laughs> like my like deepest hope. I can piggyback. Uh, I feel the same way as Jackie does as well too, of uh, being optimistic and right. Like there is now context for Brooklyn Center and our community of our school and our young people in our community of like, we've done something like this and like knowing that like we can and that like there's energy and a want to be able to mobilize and move if the time calls upon us or if we want to ourselves to be able to to do it i think like that gives me a lot of hope and um it, it does put a spotlight on us and saying that like oh yeah like it empower I, I think at least it empowers our young people that like you can do this and you have adults in this building who are going to be behind you 100 percent doing this work alongside you as well too I will also say that, like, um, you know, something that I do think about, too, is, um, you know, as the church, uh, knowing that the trial of Kim Potter is still coming down the road, but also, like, you know, we have been, it has, our young people have just been through so much, our young people and our adults in the building of, you know, before Dante, right, we were coming off this pandemic that no one was necessarily, we just weren't ready and prepared for, and uh, the stresses of all that of, individuals losing jobs and losing family members and um, the stressors of everything. And, you know, like my optimism thinks of the future of like, yeah, we can do so many awesome things. But I also think about the safety of our young people and students for our young, young people and staff just for the, the, this fall as well, too, knowing that, like, I think I mentioned it to a couple of people of like, this will probably be like our third year in a row for school where students' schedules get, uprooted or the routines get uprooted and so like three years of change for young people like just it's gonna be tough and that you know that's something like i think about as well too of like oh like we have so much good on our horizon but like there are some things that we'll, we'll just we'll need to work heavily together on to make sure that we can get there as well um i mean jackie and Longkey already said a lot of what my hopes and dreams are for brooklyn center and i just want to reiterate that our young people at brooklyn center and the surrounding area are really powerful and they bring with them a lot of different live experiences and knowledge and wisdom that adults around the community should listen to and hear from. So I think a lot of my hopes and dreams for Brooklyn Center is for these young people to continue leading these spaces Thanks for listening to New Narratives, Justice for George Floyd. This special series is brought to you by Asian American Organizing Project in collaboration with Buddhist Justice Reporter, a project led by BIPOC Buddhists looking to report on the police, criminal injustice, and the carceral state from a Buddhist lens. 
and with support from the Minneapolis Foundation, the Mellon Foundation, and the Kofi Annan Institute for Global Citizenship at McAllister College. Featured in this episode were Jackie Hayden, Monkey Vang, and Nan Nguyen. See you next time.